If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Quickly displayed during Samson's take for Kafui Semevo of the DVLA, who was commended as a consummate communications professional for clarifying that one has to be given 24 hours to produce their driver's license instead of impounding their vehicle unlawfully. The error is regretted. Uh, this picture uh, is uh, Kafui Semevo. That's a picture on your screens there. That's uh, Kafui Semevo and the one meant to be displayed. Now, let's get down now to business. Joining me for our IMF conversation here on a news file uh, today uh, is somebody I've, uh, I've always looked forward to hosting myself uh, in person, by the way, because of the way she makes economics very accessible. I was telling her just before we came on there that uh, if she was my economist teacher, I would have become an economist instead of a journalist. Uh, Dr. Priscilla Chumisi Barfors, an economist and senior lecturer, Department of Economics, University of Ghana Lagos. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yes, I missed the opportunity to be your teacher. I was uh, several years too early, you know, so I'm grateful that you could join me. Uh, also uh, joining us uh, pretty shortly is Dr. Mohammed Amin Adam. He's a Minister of State at the uh, Finance Ministry, and he will join us pretty soon. 
We'll be joined in the studio uh, later by John Abdullahi Junapur. He is the uh, member of parliament for Yapi Kusogu constituency and member of the finance, uh, mines and energy committees of parliament. We're grateful that you could join us. Dr. Tui Champon is an economist and political risk analyst. And he joins us via Zoom. You can see him in short right now. I'm grateful, um, Doc, for joining us here on Newsfile. As I said at the beginning, uh, later, we would also get into the NDC conversation, right, after the primaries. We'll be joined in uh, that particular conversation by John Junapo Insurance, dial star 165 hash on the MTN to join Duraplus. How you get your water matters. Remember, where Duraplus goes, water flows. And DBS Industries roofing. Pa, 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 fear. Um, I will start with you, uh, Dr. Chumisi Bafo, on the, what happened last night where the money, I, the finance ministry confirmed that the $600 million hit our accounts. I mean, how important is that? Before we even open up, that's the, that is the first manifestation of this deal that the board approved. How important is that money, considering where we are now in the economy? Thank you once again, Evans, and good morning to your viewers and listeners again. Um, I believe that it is important and that the, the money has come at the right time. Why is that? Because, as said, um, last week thereabout, we were aware that the reserves of the central bank was about three weeks of import cover. And that meant that if nothing came in immediately, um, possibly um, it could have... Um, coming with a lot of speculation and people rushing in and all. the whole uncertainty around that environment is something that is not needed in economic management. So indeed, this comes in um, at the right time. I believe that Ghana, as the governor indicated, has a lot of goodwill globally. Everybody wants to see the shining star of Africa do well. Um, so in terms of that, and the evidence also points that whenever we have embarked on um, any fund-assisted program, we excel. The challenge has always been when we exit, then what happens? Um, we tend to, the indiscipline tends to creep in, and then we do not build resilience, and then with the slightest shock, we find ourselves wanting and we go back. So I think that it came in at the right time. I mean, when you compare other countries such as Zambia and um, Sri Lanka and others, Ghana's deal has come in at a record time. And I think that um, whether we should, it's not a time to celebrate. It is a call for us to uh, take advantage of the goodwill we have um, to do the right things going forward. Yeah, and you, that, that last bit is interesting because, uh, uh, Dr. Tui Champo, I want to bring you in. You were with me on PM Express this week when... Uh, Dr. Chumisi Baf was other colleague, Professor Goffer Bokwing used the expression, well, it's not time to pop the champagne just yet. But the reality is, if you consider what Zambia went through two years, and they're still currently still struggling, to do this in 10 months is significant, is it not? No, so there are two, there are two quick things to that, right? So... Zambia first applied to the G20 framework in February of 2021. And then in August of 2020, they got that 38-month ECF program. So they also have an IMF program just like us, right? But what they've got to do beyond that is getting those creditor 
uh, agreements, the external creditors to agree on the various um, reprofiling or the relief that would be granted them. And this is where they are stuck uh, at the moment. So Ghana, likewise, we've gotten a program, we've gotten some release of funding, but all the subsequent um, releases of funding, they are contingent on reaching certain um, program benchmarks. And one of the key things is actually getting the external creditors, both the bilateral ones, so the Paris Club in China, as well as the um, private creditors, the Eurobond guys, to agree to some form of, you know, um, restructuring of the terms. So, so that's uh, the, the distinction there, that both of them have a fund program. Both Ghana and Zambia have got to do a debt restructuring exercise. And if probably there's any lesson from Zambia, is the fact that the external debt restructuring exercise often can be complicated. And when you look at Ghana's one, um, with what we have committed ourselves to under this IMF program, um, the very first table uh, under the summary document, that 126-page document that they, 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 they produced, right? um, um, the, the, there is a table there that shows you the proposed program financing commitments. And in 20, between 2023 and 2026, we have a financing gap of $15 billion. In 2023 alone, it's $4.2 billion. Out of that $4.2 billion, $1.7 billion is going to be coming from uh, the IMF, the World Bank, and other sort of financing partners. But $2.5 billion, so that's 60% of that $4.2 billion, is financing that we haven't gotten yet. It's all contingent on the conclusion of the external debt restructuring. So those deferred interest payments and principal and or you name it. And if we're not able to get those monies coming in, 2.5 billion in 2023, another 2.2 billion in 2024 and, and so forth and so on, then we might then become stuck in the same process as Zambia and others you know, uh, are, are struggling with. Um, so that's just a, a bit of clarification there. Dr. Chibisi he's right, I mean, because you look at the point three uh, under the, uh, the release that came in, it says securing timely debt restructuring agreements with external creditors will be essential for the successful implementation of the new ECF arrangement. And, and in other words, yes, we have the deal, 600 million have come in, but to get anything more, it would be critical now to get external creditors to agree. But many will say, well, if you look at the commitment from China and the Paris Club, of course, then you have to go to the Eurobond you know, investors also to try and restructure. Um, should, we, should this be of concern, considering uh, Champon's point about the Zambia example? They're still stuck now because, yes, they got the deal like us, but they haven't received the funding yet because they haven't managed to restructure fully. Essentially, I, I acknowledge um, Theo's concern, and I, I believe that in terms of restructuring of the external debt, it is not as um, easy or simple as um, compared to the domestic debt restructuring, where essentially it got to the point of whether it's a take-it-or-leave-it situation. Um, the external debt restructuring, it's a difficult one. You are dealing with different parties. 
with the um, bilateral creditors, um, I believe that there is still, uh, at the moment, the Ghana has put a moratorium on servicing office debt and all that declared bankruptcy in that regard. Um, when it comes to commercial um, creditors, I, I know that um, the government would have to deal with, for example, the London Club, um, where you're looking at individual commercial um, creditors. It's a bit tricky, but there are different approaches. I would um, um, tread on a more optimistic perspective that, um, indeed, um, it will be difficult, but I think that when we, we, we get our act together and, and get to organize things, um, it shouldn't be an impossibility. The fact that Zambia is struggling to, to deal with it and should serve as a lesson to us um, for us going forward. I, I think there are a number of issues that are there. Um, are we going for um, debt conversion, for example? What are the implications? Um, essentially, I mean, we are doing this for the first time as a country, so it's uncharted waters. Yeah. Um, but I think that um, whatever it is, um, we have a deal, at least on the reserve side now, there is no pressure on our balance of payment position. Um, we can um, organize a few things domestically whilst we proceed on the foreign aspect. But in all this, I think that as a country, what lessons are we learning? Uh, I think it is critical. We mm. should not get to this point again. Yeah, um, and, and I'm going to come to that. I'll start with the Bank of Ghana's caution. That don't just you know celebrate that the money had arrived, but take the opportunity this time to reset the economy. And he laid out what that will look like. Guess who has joined me in the studio? Hello, John Jinapo. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. You good? Well, it's not easy. It's tough, but we manage. Well, I mean, when we say, well, the toughness is about to ease a bit, right? I mean, the deal is here. $69 million in the Bank of Ghana account last night. You know, the, the, the path to recovery is now, is now clear. Come on. Which, 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 which bad deal is going to reduce? I want to know. Is it the cost of living? Is it prices? Wages? Taxes? We're talking of the ordinary Ghanaian. What is going to lessen in terms of burden on the ordinary Ghanaian? See, it's not about how fast a deal has been reached or how slow it has been reached. It's about the impact of this document on the ordinary Ghanaian. If you spend three months buying a rickety car, and I spend six months buying a robust, strong car, you dare not tell me that because you spent six months buying a rickety car, you are better off. Don't forget, if you look at page five, our import cover had reduced to 0.5 months of imports. That is how bad the situation was. Look, this country was on the verge of collapse. It simply meant that has been so decimated, so precarious that if the IMF had not come in immediately, this country would have just... And it has rippling effect. Normally when Ghana goes through this, the shock waves goes to other countries. And IMF is very cautious of that. Mm. And that is why some of the conditions precedent have been converted to conditions subsequent. We are supposed to restructure our debt before the IMF program. That was the situation. But now they've decided that, look, throw some 600 at them and let's see how they can restructure the debt. Even the domestic component that Doug says might not be so difficult. 
we haven't been able to achieve that. That's a fact. But the minister, they finished it. The minister is just waiting. He is waiting that there will be another round to pensioners. He wrote, even after the so-called 85%. He made a proposal to the pension fund. Why is he making that proposal? He signed off and said that's for pensions, won't touch them. Reduce the threshold, achieve 85% of the reduced threshold, not the original target. Don't forget there was an original target. Realizing that there was upheaval, he exempted pensioners and then exempted some bondholders. And then out of that amount that was left, he achieved 85 and started jubilating. Went to the IMF, came back and wrote a letter that, no, we have to sit down again. So even the domestic, and it's in the document. If you read the document properly, it tells you that the domestic component is not over yet. So even the domestic component that you have a foothold of, government has not been able to deal with that. The external portion... I, I guess you can divide into two. The, the first part is complete and sealed. In their conversation with the pension funds, when the exemption, they had a clause in there that says they will re-engage uh, in accordance with you know, the, the fiscal measures going forward, etc. That is what they've triggered in these conversations with them no. to bring them back. And I know that it's been considered. There are various views on it. The domestic bonds themselves are not even being serviced. I'm saying that the coupons have not been paid. Not all, of course. Yes, so there's a problem there. Yeah. Government is defaulted even with domestic coupon payments. Yeah. And in finance, normally, government will not default on domestic coupons. Worst case scenario, they'll print more money. For the first time in my life, I'm hearing government default in this manner with domestic bonds. This is the first time I've never seen that. It is the first time I'm seeing government default when it comes to domestic coupons under the Fourth Republican Dispensation. Put that aside. The foreign component, government on the 19th of December 2022, unilaterally, unilaterally, decided it won't pay again. It's not been paid. Government has not been servicing its external component of both commercial and bilateral. And in this document, and, and strangely, I don't know why they, they choose to do so, they would exempt the multilateral component from the debt restructuring. And the multilateral component has to do with the IMF, the World Banks, and those. But as for the bilateral and the commercial, i.e. the euro bonds, they've stopped servicing the debt, and they want to go for a renegotiation. So first of all, you are going to the table with very bad faith. The minister went to China and came back empty-handed. He went to China. So look. But now China has agreed and together and we with the Paris know, Club. We don't know where we're going to get assurances. to. We don't know where we're going to get to. And like Dr. Tio rightly pointed out, he referred to, I think his table, I will strike the table even as I talk. There's a table that tells you of the funding gap. 2023 is 4.2 billion. 2024, 3.3 billion. 2025, 4.2 billion. 2026, 3.2 billion. And the financing from external debt restructuring moves from 2.4 billion, 2.1 billion, 3.1 billion, close to 10 billion. You must achieve that debt restructuring. That is not a small task. Mm. And I don't know why they agreed to it. It's not a small task. But when you even come to Ghana here, utility tariffs must be increased or adjusted quarterly. 
taxes, individual, individual taxes must be adjusted upward. The Bank of Ghana has committed that to keep increasing the prime rate to fight inflation. It is here. So you are going to have monetary tightening, and you are going to have fiscal tightening as well. And if you read the Bank of Ghana's Monetary Policy Committee report, investments has reduced from 80 billion to 64 billion. So we are beginning to see the pass-through effect of these tight fiscal consolidation measures. Even wages, they've committed that they will not be increasing wages in a commensurate manner. So you're going to see your taxes go up. You're going to see your wages not being increased in a commensurate manner. You're going to see petrol at the pumps, diesel going up. You're going to see electricity tariffs going up. So I'm going to push more people into the poverty bracket. So when you read this document carefully, it tells you that government must prepare for social unrest and social upheaval. And we'll come to drilling down the specifics as to how it relates to you. Um, but we'll also look at their positives. I mean, one of which we'll discuss. The city is beginning to stabilize. So they are looked at the ground. But don't forget about the city stability. Yeah. I'll, I'll come to that substantively. I'll come that substantively. Decide that you will service your debt. Yeah. I'll come that substantively. Your currency will stabilize. I'll, I'll come that substantively. As we begin to dissect it a bit more. But uh, Dr. Mohammed Amin Adam, uh, Minister of State Finance Ministry, joins us on phone. Um, thanks, uh, Dr. Amin Adam, for your time on News File. Well, thank you, Ivan. I mean, let's start with what happened last night. I mean, you can confirm, can you not, that the 600 million hit the accounts, all right? Yes, yes, 600 million hit the accounts of the Bank of Ghana yesterday. Okay, okay good. And, and how is government taking this in terms of the use to which you want to put that immediately? Well, I, I think that uh, we've explained uh, that the program uh, has two uh, uh, multifaceted uh, outcomes that we, we expect to, to achieve. Uh, number one, we want to be able to promote growth and therefore uh, the money will be used for, for budget support. Uh, but at the same time, we want to uh, also strengthen our balance of payment uh, position. And uh, to that extent, uh, the money is coming through the Bank of Ghana. The Bank of Ghana will supply uh, the equivalent to the government use in the budget. And so you, you, you are going to start seeing uh, uh, some relief in terms of uh, financing uh, in, in the budget so we are able to, uh, to meet the, the financing gap uh, of the budget. And mm. then also we should expect the city uh, to get stronger and stronger. Already uh, over the last six months, Bloomberg has reported that the city is the best performing currency uh, out of 150 currencies across the world. And so with the flow of the IMF money and other resources that will flow uh, into the country, we expect the currency to, to get stronger and stronger. Yeah, I mean, and yesterday, the finance minister, uh, the press uh, briefing, uh, this uh, must have been on Thursday, uh, made the point that the 600 million once it hits uh, will be used for financing programs. Can you clarify that? When you say financing programs, well, what did you mean? Well, the budget has uh, uh, programs and projects mm -hmm. which already have been approved by, by Parliament. And uh, when we talk of budget support, uh, we have a financing component. Uh, of course, the, there's a deficit that we have to finance. and uh, would have gone to borrow uh, to, to finance uh, that deficit. And so with the IMF money 
coming in. If we go to support the projects, uh, road projects, uh, um, um, railway projects, uh, uh, medical facilities, um, uh, telecommunication, etc., etc. So these are the projects that uh, have been approved uh, already in the in the budget. Okay, clarify again for me. I asked that because I because the primary reason we were told for going to the IMF was to get balance of payment support. And where, if you look at the IMF document, it, it specifies the how precarious our reserves are currently uh, and import cover, etc. If, if you're going to use the 600 million for roads and projects, etc., that 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 possibly doesn't address the primary challenge. The existential threat of the import cover and the reserves question. Can you reconcile that? No, I think in the past the IMF support um, has gone to uh, provide balance of payment and support. The Bank of Ghana will just receive the money and then use that to build their reserves. Uh, now you have a uh, to to full a benefit. The money comes to the Bank of Ghana account and the Bank of Ghana will also uh, give cities uh, and it is not just uh, uh, on the spot the, the city uh, the release of cities by the bank of ghana is going to be over time and so you certainly will have uh, the reserve position being strengthened uh, while you also receive the city equivalent of the the dollars to be received by the bank of ghana uh, to finance uh, uh, programs and projects approved in the budget Mm, that's a very important clarity, and I'll get uh, Doc's uh, reaction to that. But first to you, um, now he's giving clarity what the money will be used for, roads, etc., and projects. I've just opened to the budget appendix 3A, summary of, summary of central government operations 2023, page 189. Are you confirming on this program today that this $600 million would be used for road construction payments, like you are saying, can you confirm that on authority on this program so that we have that on record? I think he said that. I just want him to clarify that. We need to hear what I said. But he said that. Please, can you call? I just wonder because it's not here. you hear what I said? I didn't see that here. I've checked. No, Look. If, you, if you didn't hear what I said, that is fine. But okay, I didn't hear. Can you can you re record that for us? The public heard what I said. Yeah, I mean, he said. I didn't hear. I'm a no, I mean, I, I did no, because no, of the whole thing. Let me yeah, let me yeah, let me yeah, let yeah. me do that. He said that he mentioned a host of it, including roads. So it's, it's confirmed that the minister says this 600 part of it will be used to pay for road costs. Yeah, it includes roads. He mentioned. So we'll get that in the budget outtakes. I know that will not happen, but let's keep that. Okay, let, let me quickly get clarity on that. Um, Dr. Chumisi Bafo, so now we have clarity on what the 600 million will be used for, and that, that's an important point. Now you, the minister has said a host of things, including uh, government infrastructure and programs, including roads, etc. Essentially, my understanding of the IMF program is that it's, it's a balance of payment supports um, that um, the funding um, um, comes in for. So um, the BOG will receive it, and then in that regard, we'll do, it will support our, our foreign um, reserves yes. position. And then we'll use that in the management of the foreign exchange market and interventions here and there. But indeed, it is funding that is coming 
coming in and it is not just going to sit in the vault of the Bank of uh, Ghana mm. but I know that it also comes in in a form of uh, it can also come in in a form of budgetary support but from what the minister is saying I'm not too clear because there is also the World Bank support in, in this deal um, where I have read that uh, the World Bank is um, targeting a 900 million um, dollar support to the budget because essentially there is a financing gap in the budget based on the fact that um, Ghana does not have um, market access. So um, something, it needs to be filled. And in that regard, um, that is what needs to be done. But I am a bit not too clear with okay. regards to this funding going into road construction let's, and infrastructure. I, I, thankfully, the minister is on. So let's get that clarity for you. Um, Dr. Mena, do you want to um, try and give Dr. Chiesiba yes. for some clarity on, on it? Yes. Yes, of course. So the money is coming through the Bank of Ghana, and as I speak, we all know that the money landed in the account of the Bank of Ghana. But the Bank of Ghana will give to the equivalent when uh, we call on it, you know, because we call on it to also support your budget. And if you read the IMF program uh, document uh, very well, uh, there is budget support uh, component of it. And so uh, it is a fact that uh, even though it's coming through the Bank of Ghana, and the Bank of Ghana will also uh, release it to the government. Uh, the purpose of the government taking this money is to be able to use it for budget support. Uh, we have the financing component of our budget, the 2023 uh, budget. Uh, and this is why we continue to say that the IMF program has catalytic effect. Uh, because of our application for the IMF supported program, the World Bank also um, you know, started negotiating with us. Uh, for additional budget support, uh, uh, 900 million U.S. dollars uh, to be disbursed in equal uh, tranches of uh, 300 million dollars uh, every year. You know, which is also coming to support the, the the financing gap in the in the budget. There are so many other sources that we are looking at. We are engaging other multilaterals. We are engaging bilaterals, uh, and also uh, we want to be able to uh, increase our own domestic efforts. Uh, in order to uh, uh, finance the, the, the gap in the, in the budget. Okay. Uh, Dr. Chui Champon, your take on this? Um, yeah, no, so, so I think uh, Honorable is, is, is very right. The, the, the money comes to the central bank first. It's received in dollars. Central bank will keep some portion for um, bolstering the, the reserves and, you know, help stabilize the city. And then subsequently, some other portions of the money would be um, released to the Ministry of Finance or the Treasury for you know different items in the in the budget. As to the specifics of that, um, I I don't know. But what what is really important, I think, is that this initial funding that we've gotten is just a temporary fix, in the sense that. It's like being sick, you've gone to the hospital, you've been given morphine to help ease the pain. But beyond that, you've got to take some dose of you know, heavy antibiotics to cure the ailment. And any other funding that we're going to be getting, whether from the IMF, whether from the World Bank or other development partners, is all contingent on us meeting the program targets. That, that's very, very important. So, when the next review is done in a couple of months, if you look at the document and the targets in the towards um, 
the end of the year, if we have not met most of those core quantitative and core benchmark reform targets, then it becomes difficult to get those additional tons of money, you know, uh, coming coming in in that regard. Okay. Um, I want to now drill down to some of the specifics, and because the minister is with us, he can break it down, because many people are reading, and some are either alarmed, and they are feeling there will be pain down the line, or you're looking at the benefits, as we've seen the city uh, beginning to stabilize a bit more, and as Guta and co. have said, confidence will come back. But let's start with some of the issues that m most Ghanaians will identify with and need explanation. The first one is on page 10 of the program document that talks about containing the wage bill by limiting wage increases and hiring. I'm, I bring that up first because obviously, I mean, that labor and TUC, you know, has always warned that if the IMF program document comes and they see this one in it, uh, Dr. Amina, that you are in trouble. So please take time to explain what this is in reality. What would this uh, manifest in reality? How would this manifest in reality? Uh, containing the wage bill by limiting wage increases and hiring. And the IMF says this will save you some 0.5% of GDP. The document and all the negotiations we have done, there is nowhere there is a statement that there is a freeze uh, in employment. We are not going to, to do that. But this is not also different from what we have been doing. Uh, for the past two years, uh, recruitment in the government side have focused on the security agencies and the teachers and then also uh, nurses, etc., uh, etc. Et and these are critical uh, institutions and the job they do also very critical to our development uh, efforts. And you know that uh, the recruitment are backed by financial clearance. That is when government uh, is able to finance uh, their wages, then the clearance is, is, is given. And so that will continue as and when uh, uh, we are able to, to do that. But there's no uh, explicit uh, decision that uh, there will be a, a, a freeze in, in, in employment. And so to the extent that we are able to manage this uh, um, uh, um, uh, recruitment and also the, the clearance, uh, we should be able to contain the, the, the wage bill. Also, if you uh, monitor, over the last uh, few years, uh, recruitment into these sectors that I mentioned have been massive, have been unprecedented. Whether you are talking about the security agencies or you are talking about um, the health uh, professionals and nurses and teachers, uh, more than two million people have been recruited into these areas. And, and therefore, even if you are not able uh, to recruit uh, sooner, uh, you should have the numbers that will uh, be able to support these institutions and the development efforts of, of, of our country. Okay, and, and those recruitments, uh, I guess it's important to know, happened before you know the approval. Now, now going into post yesterday when you got the money, this is what you have to you know I guess stick by. So when it says limiting, continue by limiting wage increases. I mean, you're limiting it. It doesn't say don't increase, but it says limit. How is government going to interpret that? If, if next year, uh, and definitely, TUC will come and say, we want to, you know, want more wages. And then it also says limit hiring. And I want an important clarity. The last time I we went to the IMF, there was an, ex an exception created for essential services like 
the you know the health sector and education in the limiting of the hiring i wonder whether there is an agreement with the imf going forward that whilst we are limiting hiring um in the health and education sector for example there will be an exception such as we had in 2015. you know that the which negotiations are always done you know by the social partners and for this year's budget uh the negotiations were done uh before even the budget was, was approved and so when you budget what we are going to prevent uh is to do uh, extra budgetary uh, spending and so to the effect that uh, there is need for uh, more hiring for wage increases that are not budgeted the social partners i believe will continue to cooperate uh, with government so that we don't go off the budgetary target okay uh, hey, Dr. Buffer, that's an important point for all workers including yourself so when you read that you've had this foundation what's what's your how do you how do you assess this particular i guess program requirement that we'll have to meet to save us 0.5 percent of gdp Right. I, I think that this conditionality is, is not new. It's always been under um, almost all our IMF programs. Um, the reason being that the wage bill takes a significant chunk of government resources. And so for that matter, um, whenever um, we are able to control the rate of growth in the wage bill, then possibly some resources can be saved. Um, but for me, um, like you rightly said, most of the times, um, exceptions need to be made, um, particularly in critical areas such as health and education. Um, you would want to um, make exception to replace, for example, retiring labor um, to make sure that there are no um, deficits created in critical sectors. And I think that um, that is um, something that is done under um, usually most IMF programs. But you would not find a wholesale employment into the security services and others when we are under a program because you need to contain the wage bill. And you do that by um, either containing salaries that people are taking or by reducing <laughs> the number that is... Uh, I know you're smiling now. I mean, yes, I, I, you know it will affect you, you know? I, I know. Essentially, I am because we are also dealing with the situation of um, high inflation. So you see, in essence... <laughs> How do you um, balance labor, that? Exactly. Labor, it's really um, in, a, in a precarious position in a sense that as prices are increasing... Your real wage, at the end of the day, how much your salary affords you now is just about a half of what it used to do. And um, I, I, I understand why um, labor union would be up in arms in um, trying to um, find out the clear position of government. But the reality is that, yes, I mean, IMF programs have always come with a lot of negative impact on the ordinary Ghanaian, the ordinary worker and all that. And for me, my position is that that is what we need to learn, important lessons, so that periodically we do not find ourselves back here. Because you find that the cycle is always about four years maximum. Um, we are back um, looking for a deal. We need to find sustainable solutions to this so that we do not over time keep inflating such um, um, difficult um, economic circumstances on the, on the citizens. I mean, John, this is standard IMF Conditionality, right? I mean, you had a version of it in 2015, so you, I'm not sure you have a problem with this. You, everybody expected this will be in it. 
You see, the reality is that workers are going to struggle. Living conditions are going to be tough. And so let's not play around it and say it's the usual thing. It's not the usual thing. If you read the document very well, it's quantitative. It says 0.5% of GDP. So it's a target mm. that you ought to meet. Capital expenditure, 0.9%. It's mm. providing around 0.9% of GDP of savings. Yeah. Um, rationalization, goods and services spending, 0.3% of GDP. Mm -hmm. So these are quantitative targets that the IMF will be measuring. And the statement goes further to say that when you do not meet it, in the media review, you must take steps to reflect those variances in order to come back. So let nobody present it to us as if it's the normal way of doing things. And I've been hearing these two million jobs, two million jobs. I don't know what that means. I have the budget here. And the budget for me is the most authentic document for me. If you go to page 230, appendix 7, 2023, total government budget ceiling, staff strength, 804,000. It is there. It is in the budget. It's not a political statement. Mm. And the budget is debated and adopted. This is what both sides of the house, the entire house, adopted. 804,000 total staff strength. I don't know where this 2 million is coming from. Two million of what? Is it gross figures? Is it current employment? Is it what? The current total staff strength, the ceiling, that's the 2023 ceiling. Government says that even if it employs so much, it has to end at 804,000. So look, let's not create this impression as if this IMF program is going to lessen so much of a burden. Rather, we have to take some tough, difficult decisions for the next three years. Mm -hmm. The question is, how do we navigate this very difficult path? I think that should be the narrative, that should be the discussion. And Dr. Thierry Champon is enumerated some of the difficult things that the IMF expects us to undertake before the next tranche is released. So it's like they've given you some palliative care, whatever you choose to call it, to tame your temperature, but you must take those very difficult and tough decisions. One of them, and I, w I want to get uh, Dr. Amin Adam's take on this so that we can all, as we go, I wanted to just break it down so you all appreciate and go for it. Yeah, like, yeah, two days ago, the financing Act was actually appealing to all Ghanaians to support the program. Um, but to do that, you need to understand what it means. And so let's go to the other one that affects every single soul in this land called Ghana. And it's in the document. It says, automatically adjust fuel levies by exchange rate movement or inflation. Immediately here, fuel, you, you know that you, know, you are in dangerous territory. So, um, Dr. Aminadam, this particular clause, when it comes to the um, what they call the medium-term revenue strategy, which they expect that cabinet uh, should approve very soon. The requirement for government now to implement this automatic adjustment in fuel levies by exchange rate movement or inflation, how is this different from the current um, deregulator regime that we have? Is it the same or this is different? Well, uh, first of all, the, the two million employment uh, John Jinapo talked about is referring to uh, government staff levels. And, you know, as if 
all the recruitment as a result of government programs uh, uh, all coming into uh, the formal government uh, sector. You know, two million employment government is doing too many projects around the country. So apart from the people who are recruited into the formal government sector, uh, there are people who are also recruited to undertake projects uh, funded by, by government. And, and, and so you should understand the context of the two million uh, people who have been employed over the, the last few years that we've been talking about. Uh, but secondly, I do appreciate that um, we will have to do things different from the way uh, we, we, we did things. Uh, it's not going to be business as, as usual. Mm. And, 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 and so, yes, workers and, and Ghanaians all over will have to uh, bear with us. Uh, but uh, in doing this, we are also very sensitive to the plight of the, of the people, especially the poor and the, and the vulnerable. And so in this uh, particular program, there's a heavy uh, component uh, on social intervention uh, that we negotiated into the program. Uh, need, for example, uh, has been doubled and we are going to increase funding on need. Uh, we also are going to also spend more on school feeding program. Uh, it's also doubled. Uh, NHRS reaching a high school program is going to continue. And, and, and so even though we will have some, some difficulties, we have been very careful in negotiating this program to ensure that the very vulnerable segments of our society, uh, not uh, the likes of Dinapur, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, but those who are affected directly by government policies, they are also given safety, safety net so that we can uplift, uplift them. Uh, as far as the uh, wages are concerned, uh, Dr. Simmons mentioned that uh, they may have to uh, call for some consideration because inflation uh, if the higher prices are going to increase and, and when that happens uh, there is need for uh, adjustment in the asset. I appreciate that but we all know that this program is also intended to achieve macro stability and so we are we are working to reduce inflation uh, we are working to uh, you know ensure that inflation goes further down to single digits with recorded single digits uh, before uh, when before COVID starts, we had single digit growth work at 7%, extended was very stable. Um, and, and so we want to go back to uh, the period before, before COVID. And so there may not be uh, that case for uh, prices to increase. Uh, that may warrant uh, uh, consideration for adjustment in, 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 in salaries. Uh, from 54% by by end of last year, uh, it's currently 41% and it's going to uh, further go down. Um, let me also add that the difficulties we're talking about, even if we didn't go to the IMF, you know, we would have uh, been asked by the policies we've taken through the budget to adjust ourselves. Because some of the, the measures have already been front-loaded into uh, this budget. And so uh, when people say there will be uh, increases in taxes here and there, you know, we already have front-loaded them in the 2023 budget. And we're going to uh, continue to you know improve on the efficiency of the collection we're going to continue to uh, expand the tax net uh, uh, you know the property rate that uh, we are we are trying to do to bring in some some money if, if that uh, is being pursued uh, seriously we are also reform reforming the e-levy in order to improve collection you know and so they have been completed already and to the extent that we can work so hard uh, with the support of Ghanaians 
to be able to realize our revenue objective uh, will help in bringing Yeah, I mean, down. on the revenue bid, my, my substantive question, well, I'll return to that shortly. But on the revenue bid, because you brought it up, you, you're yeah, saying that... Before you come, let yes. me just uh, answer directly your question. On no, I'll come, I'll, come, I'll, come to that. I'll come to that because you just said revenue. So let me just ask one product right on revenue. I, categorically, you're saying there'll be no new taxes. I didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> People are saying that there will be tax increases here and there. Okay. And I'm saying that we have already front-loaded some of this in the Senate and the pay budget. Okay. And so what we have to do is to make sure that we collect. And we are going to improve on our efficiency in the collection. We're going to um, um, also expand the tax net uh, further uh, so that... Uh, uh, those who are not paid, we want to go after them yeah. so that we can be able to improve. So, so that is improving efficiency, but I guess I need clarity to the question. Let me just rephrase it. Are we going to have fresh taxes? Well, I mean, we, we are now developing the, what we call the medium-term uh, revenue strategy. Yes. Uh, the medium-term revenue strategy, yes. uh, depending on the conditions as we go forward, uh, will define uh, what the government tax strategy will be going forward. Okay, good. Now, let's address the substantive, um, and I'll come to that. Please make notes on the okay, revenue. Okay, so you were talking about automatic oh, It says, it, I, I just want to quote it. It says, automatically adjusting fuel levies by, yes, by, by exchange rate movement and inflation. What, what does that mean exactly in the context of the, the deregulated regime? Yeah, it is the same as we have also in the uh, electricity sector. And uh, uh, we are trying to, you know, move away from the regime where uh, these uh, 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 prices were, were done a bit thoroughly, you yeah. know, to a more, um, uh, you know, macro economic induced uh, adjustment and so as i indicated whilst inflation continues to go down and the exchange rate uh, stabilizes and, and, and the city becomes uh, stronger uh, you should expect a downward review uh, for the first time in the history of our country uh, transport trades have been have been reduced by transport operators i mean this is because uh, uh, fuel prices are reflecting yeah. Uh, inflation, are reflecting yeah. exchange rates, are reflecting uh, what the deregulated regime uh, has defined uh, for us to, 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 to follow in terms of uh, uh, not just fuel pricing but also electricity uh, prices. Uh, PURC announced uh, uh, an increase in, 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 in tariff adjustment, uh, but we are also aware that as they have announced in their statement, they are trying to recover uh, uh, forex. Uh, under recovery from previous adjustments. But with inflation coming down and the exchange rate stabilizing, we should expect uh, uh, future adjustments to be lower and, and, and lower than they have been in the, in the past. Okay, and on the transport matter this morning, uh, the uh, GPRT, they've withdrawn the 10% increase, because, uh, decrease, uh, the reduction because of controversy over, you know, whether it's, it's you should implement it. And I think the analysis they gave for withdrawal is because they didn't factor in the spare parts component, which is still an issue. So it's, it's this morning. I well, I think, I, think, I think that may be pressure coming from their members, but the reality is that they announced a 10% uh, uh, decrease in, in, in French. Uh, we may have to engage them to find out the reason for. And they gave reasons for that, why they announced a 10% reduction in, 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 in French. We may have to engage them to find out what new development yeah. have uh, occasioned the withdrawal of that. I, I want to bring in uh, Dr. Tuya Champon. Doug, um, so first, and then there's a revenue one that uh, the minister clarified, but quickly take for me the 
automatically adjust, adjusting for levies by exchange rate movement and inflation, which is as explained there. Um, if you're going to do that, and the anticipation is that the city is going to stabilize significantly going forward, which is a huge factor in the uh, price volatility when it comes to fuel on the market, uh, that is good in, in the long term, is it not? If the city stabilizes and, and, and continues to strengthen, because then you're going to see automatic adjustments that will mean reductions. Is that how you're reading this? been implementing this uh, automatic regime for, for for a very long time now, so it's it's nothing new, like Honorable was saying. Um, what should or what we didn't do, if you recall, during the pandemic, um, levy, uh, fuel ta taxes and these levies and electricity prices should have gone up, right? Um, but we did not make those increases or adjustments for well about one and a half going into two years. So by the time we made the first adjustment, we're already catching up with two years worth of uh, reduction in, in value as a result of the um, inflation um, going up. And then there's been some subsequent adjustments uh, as well. But going forward, it's all really predicated on the fact that if you get inflation under control um, and even the prices of the product also comes down, then the pass-through of that into electricity tariffs or even um, for uh, fuel prices at the pumps begins to, to come down. But I struggle a little bit to see how that will come down, at least in the short term. So inflation is about 40 or so percent. And under the IMF program conditions that we, we signed with, with, the, with the fund, uh, Table 2, which is titled um, Performance Criteria and Indicative Targets. Um, by December of this year, um, inflation should be within a central band of about 29%, and then March, it comes down to about 26.9%. So basically, we need some big um, incremental um, uh, reduction, actually big reduction in um, inflation levels for us to meet those uh, program targets and for that subsequently to feed through into you know a reduction of prices at the pumps or when it comes to buying um, utilities but the, the structure of the pricing setup has always been there um, anyway under the uh, automatic formula just that we are not implementing it in uh, a consistent you know uh, manner mm. on the revenue question that, that you, you, you asked. Um, uh, paragraph 24, I think page 13 of the document, the, uh, when I listed them, I could count seven different you know, tax reforms, or let's call it more broadly, domestic revenue mobilization um, initiatives. So the first one is removing some of the exemptions that we give on VAT. Mm -hmm. And that's meant to give us, or save us 2% of uh, GDP. The second thing is reforming of the corporate income tax regime. Uh, and there the issue is that the way we give the tax holidays, the way we give, again, exemptions, and even some of the companies tend to um, engage in some uh, aggressive profit shifting. So if you do some reforms there, again, you can make some savings. Then there is uh, something around um, uh, cost customs exemptions. So what happens? At, at the port. There, there is stuff to do with personal income taxes that needs to be more progressive. We've discussed a few um, uh, levy, 
The two other probably new ones that I think um, is featuring in this conversation, but subject to more um, stakeholder consultations is the introduction or the adoption of a new tax fiscal regime for the extractive industry. And I'm sure um, Honorable would know a lot about this. Yeah. We've been working within that space, and I, I support that call. Um, but of course, we need to see the, the details. The, 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 the take home for all of these conversations um, is that at the end of the day, if you look at the macro numbers that we need to attain by the end of this program in 2026, for our revenue and grants, we need to move it from 15.7% as of 2022 to 18.7% mm. by 2026. So that's basically an upward adjustment of three percentage points of GDP, right? So that has to go up. And then on the expenditure side, we need to cut expenditure. Um, the primary expenditure, which does not include your interest payments, so that needs to be moving down from 19.3% to 17.2% um, by 2026, or um, uh, negative 2.1% um, percentage point reduction. This is where I think it gets interesting, because again, if you look at the size of the adjustments that are required, one, if you look at our own behavior as, as a people and as government in the past where we commit to these targets, um, but we are unable to really meet all of them. And number three, given the prospect that there's an election next year mm -hmm. on the horizon, you begin to wonder if these you know, really aggressive targets that the government has committed itself to would, would be met um, because you need to make some really sizable uh, adjustments. If you look at the documents, you know, they've got to make an adjustment of about 5% of GDP over three years, and about two thirds of that, right, 66% have to be done in this year going into next year. Um, and with an election around the corner, I begin to wonder if that could really be fully you know, uh, attain in, in that regard. And I'll get um, the minister's take on that, the commitment there, but Minister Janapo. Yeah, you know, first of all, I've just shared some with you. Yeah, okay. You see, it's important that we put things within perspective. For instance, if we take employment issues in Ghana, mm -hmm. the latest World Bank report, which is the latest on Ghana, Ghana is faced with 12% youth unemployment and more than 50% underemployment both higher than overall employment rates in sub-Saharan Africa. So if you take the sub-Saharan African average... Which date? This is 2020. I've sent it to you. A new World Bank report titled Youth Unemployment Programs in Ghana. Okay. Options for Effective Policy Making and Implementation. Mm. I've sent it to you. So yeah. clearly, when it comes to unemployment, it's on the ascendancy. Mm. So already, we are grappling with a very, very difficult situation when it comes to unemployment. So these figures I keep hearing, they should show some impact. When government implements policy, the policy is aimed at achieving a certain objective. So if you say you've done so much, it should show in the end result. And we should see some tangible evidence that we can relate to when it comes to that policy. On the contrary, we are seeing unemployment rising, underemployment rising. And now we are moving into a program which further tightens the economy. 
Now, Dr. Tio Chambon was talking about some of the targets. If you read the Bank of Ghana's latest Monetary Policy Committee report, provisional data on, on budget execution indicates a higher overall broad fiscal deficit on cash basis. 8.1% is against a target of 6.3%. We missed it. Revenue target, we missed it. Expenditure target, we missed it. Which brought an overall deficit of 49 billion, which was financed by the Bank of Ghana. Fortunately, now there's Kumo sitting at the Bank of Ghana. So based on those reforms, they now have to come to Parliament for us to enact legislation that will ensure that there's zero financing. So when we say, oh, nothing has changed, the IMF program is just coming to consolidate what we're doing. It is not coming to consolidate what we're doing. It is coming to correct the wrong things that we were doing as a country. You can't take a Bank of Ghana financing of over 70 billion and throw it into an economy the size of Ghana. It will heat up the economy. And that's why you are seeing food inflation today at about 60%. When you hear the average inflation, it's all the goods brought together. But when you begin to disaggregate them, then you begin to see the real impact on the ordinary Ghanaian. So when food inflation is at about 60%, it gives great cause for worry. Now you're going to be increasing fuel prices. You're going to be increasing electricity prices. It means that your headline inflation is going to shoot up. It will have a pass-through effect, which will then affect the ordinary Ghanaian. So we're in a very, very difficult moment. Look, not quite long ago, and I always come to the issue of credibility. The issue of credibility for me is very, very important. We were told that we had so much excess capacity that we didn't need that amount of power. June 2022, the AXA deal expires. 370 megawatts. This government has extended that contract by 15 years. I've sent the contract to you. Just check. I've sent it to you. That's it. I scan every document that I get. It's an 86-page document. We take all pay clauses. As if that is not enough, they signed a new deal of 207 megawatts. Fresh one. We take all pay clauses. And if you read the World Bank, it says that, look, there are three issues. One, capacity. Two, exchange rate losses. And three, cost-reflective tariffs. When the government and the peers appeared before parliament, I asked them, are our tariffs cost-reflective? They insisted that the tariffs were cost-reflective. The IMF says the tariffs are not cost-reflective. So adjust them progressively. The IMF is cautious of the fact that you can't just do a wholesale adjustment. So these adjustments we are seeing is to even bring us back to parity first. That's what these adjustments are about. Then look, there's a huge deficit in respect of the cost of production, your collection, and the tariff itself. So do it in a graduated manner on a quarterly basis so that by the end of 2023, you would have caught up and then keep at bay with inflation. So look, we are in for real, real, real trouble as we go forward. And the IMF is looking at two main things, the current account balance and then the primary balance. Because government likes reporting trade balance. But if you have a positive trade balance, it doesn't mean the money is coming to Ghana. You rather ought to go and look at the current account. That is where you see what Ghana is really getting in terms of real money payments and receivables. 
and that keeps widening from negative 5.1 to about 7% thereabout. I'll just check. So they insist that over that period, you must bring that current account deficit to an appreciable level that can anchor whatever we are doing. So look, every Ghanaian that's what, who is watching this program, I have only one advice for you. Tighten your belt. Mm. A fair conclusion, Doc? Is that a fair conclusion that people should tighten? Essentially, I, I, I think that the fact that um, we are making attempt to restructure and get the economy back on track, um, these are not um, great times. Uh, so there are tough times ahead. And for me, particularly with the automatic adjustments and all that um, Theo indicated, um, these are policies that exist, but there have been interruptions here and there. Um, I, I think that that is also, in one way or the other, these are some of the negative adverse impacts of IMF programs that over the years have made them a bit unpopular mm. because it tends to push a lot of people in poverty. Mm -hmm. And so when you look under this program, they are a bit um, um, sensitive on the social impacts, trying to look on the leave side and all that. But really, um, the challenge is that these are not great times. And um, for me, given that inflation rate is that high, the automatic adjustment, um, it goes both ways. So, for instance, um, the central bank is committed to reducing the rate of inflation through um, um, using tight monetary policies, increasing the, the rates. Increasing the rates means persistently increasing the cost of credit. And that also feeds into cost of production. So, you see, in trying to reduce the inflation rates and now there would be um, this strict automatic adjustment with inflation. So it means that the, the prospects for reducing inflation in the shortest possible time um, is, is not something that is likely to be achieved. And um, when you look at it, the bottom line is that what is the impact on the ordinary Ghanaian, um, like Honorable is saying. Um, but I think our experience tells us, and that also explains the apprehension that a lot of people have whenever the country is subjecting itself to an IMF program because we know the implications. But with this time round, they are a bit sensitive because the fund has been unpopular over the years. If you cast your mind back to the 80s, I mean, yeah. at some point they had to introduce um, policies to mitigate the negative impact of the adjustment yeah. and all that. And so um, and that is it. One thing that stands out for me for this uh, program is also the mandate um, for the central bank to be independent. I know that, I mean, before moving into um, our inflation targeting regime, um, central bank independence is critical for inflation targeting. Mm. But it so happens that over the period, we tend to find um, government interfering in, in, these, in the activities of the central bank. Um, under the COVID, um, we know that those were um, extenuating circumstances, so the bank had to come in, come in to finance some of the bonds and maturing debts because there were no um, access to funds. But I think that for me, 
lessons need to be learned so that as a country we make institutions work we do the right things and persistently try to remove the political interference and the indiscipline that creeps in over the period and also i mean um, learn lessons to cut our coats within our, 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 our cloth so that we do not persistently rely on borrowing to finance our, our way through um, um, uh, development, particularly through um, recurrent expenditure, because essentially when you look at it, a lot of the debt has not gone into capital expenditure. Mm. I'm going to take a quick break. When I return, uh, Dr. Mohammed Amin Adam, please stay with me, Dr. Tui Champon also. I'll get your quick reaction to uh, the energy conversation as uh, Mr. Janapo began, because I see in the document that you've agreed to do embark on an ambitious reform agenda in the energy sector, uh, which is expected to limit the growing fiscal costs. And what, what does that look like? Also, uh, the expenditure savings, you're also committing to create the needed fiscal space, and that will stem from efficiency gains and the reduction of large subsidy bill in the energy sector. Um, I, I was under the impression that the subsidy conversation was long dead, but apparently isn't. Uh, so we'll try and get that clarity. And then briefly, um, the document talks about, and two champions touched on it, if Dr. Minadam can explain, I will return, that government has committed to adopt the new fiscal regime for the extractive sector. It presupposes that that fiscal regime possibly is, has been drafted already and needs adopting. What does that look like? And then finally, so really, what's the cushion um, in the program? What, what, what are the safety nets that have been put in there? Um, because we've talked extensively about the challenges and the cost to everybody. But what are the safety nets? What's the cushion in the program to help all of us? Make it a slightly easier to carry the burden. Please stay with us after this. Thank you for staying with us here on News File. And News File is brought to you by Bank of Africa, as strong as a group, as close as a partner. MTN everywhere you go. Ashasa University, educating ethical and entrepreneurial leaders for Africa. Roberts and Sons Optical Services, your comprehensive eye care service provider for 31 years. My Way Insurance, Dial Star 165 Hush on the MTN to join Duraplus, how you get your water matters. Remember, where Duraplus goes, water flows. And then DBS Industries, roofing, papa few. And some of you, uh, many of you have joined us with your comments. Uh, Jack Reacher and says, one of my favorite movie characters, says, uh, are we going to get new taxes? A simple yes or no question has turned into a rant. Uh, Alida says it uh, needs to be more clear. Uh, Don Rich says, yeah, and a bailout is definitely going to cause us some fiscal and monetary headache for years to come. Um, MK Marte, why can't we be comparing ourselves to the African nations that are doing far better than Ghana without IMF bailout? But we rather sit to compare ourselves to the ones that are ahead of, we are ahead of uh, with this. How can we say we are thinking of development as a country? Sap Kobe says, unless our leaders stop accumulating wealth for themselves, we will never stop running to the IMF. 
Kwabana uh, says, uh, please ask the minister when the finance minister is honoring the mature principles due uh, since February 2023 for pensioner and individual bond holders. A few of your messages there, and you are so live here on Newsnight. My guest uh, with me uh, in the last uh, one hour, uh, 30 minutes, have been, as you may have been hearing, Dr. Mohammed Amin Adam, Minister of State at the Finance Ministry, uh, Dr. Priscilla Chumisi Bafour, economist and senior lecturer at the Department of Economics and at the University of Ghana, Legon. Uh, Dr. Tui Champon, who is an economist and political risk analyst, and John Abdullah Jinapo, who is a member of the Parliament for Yape Kusugu constituency, a uh, member of the Finance, Mines, and Energy Committee of Parliament. And uh, to that, I want to turn next because the um, one of the biggest challenges we face, the reason why our deficit is so huge and we are, keep borrowing in debt, is the energy sector. The energy sector uh, is a significant player in our crisis. And this document addresses a bit of that. And I, the document actually says that the government had committed itself to embark on, quote, an ambitious reform agenda in the energy sector, which is expected to limit its growing fiscal costs. Um, Dr. Mohamed Amin Adam, what does this look like, this ambitious reform in the energy sector? What would it look like? Well, Ivan, uh, there are special reforms that we have to uh, implement uh, under the program. And, and some of these reforms, uh, we, we started doing them, but not as ambitious as uh, uh, we are going to, 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 to look at. But, but let me just add to a very important uh, point that was made earlier about the, the unemployment by the World Bank report. I haven't seen that report. I would like to see to understand the controls of the analysis in that report. Uh, then also, uh, my, 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 my brother, Singapore, is talking about bad conditions um, that the fund is going to, the fund program is going to bring uh, to, to, to the economy, talking about food, food prices are going to go up and bear the friends to uh, food inflation. Uh, in, in the past. Um, the reality is that we all know why food prices went up. We know why petroleum prices uh, went up. You know, so sometimes when our friends on the other side of it, I think they are in the same. But we all know the circumstances there is a general factor that affected uh, uh, all of us, not just in Ghana, across the world. We, we kept saying that petroleum prices will increase. In the contrary, uh, 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 petroleum prices are decreasing. You know, and, and that is the statement of fact. Uh, I can understand when people talk about credibility, uh, that election is coming next year, mm -hmm. and therefore what is the commitment of the government to achieve the target that we set for mm -hmm. ourselves. I can understand that because uh, in the last election, under the last IMF program, uh, we suffered credibility deficit, you know, and that was uh, the, the, the program from 2015. Uh, by 2015, they had not met any of the, the targets, not a single target was met. Uh, by, by the then government. And so uh, I am even surprised, uh, you know, for example, about credibility when, when we all know that there are the ground products of uh, uh, credibility deficit. Uh, we have to come in and then work with the IMF to achieve the target, the intended target under the last program. But I can assure you that we are committed at the highest level, Excellency the President is committed, those of us at the Ministry of Finance and uh, uh, our leader, uh, the Honorable Ken Oporata, we are committed to following through um, uh, 
Dr. Chiu also talked about the fiscal consolidation, which has been a very important component of uh, this program, uh, increasing revenue, uh, tax revenue, uh, uh, the percentage of GDP from 15% by end 2022 to 18%, uh, will require huge effort. Uh, fortunately for us, uh, the 5.1 percentage uh, adjustment, fiscal adjustment, uh, which in total we are supposed to do under the program, uh, about 3.1 percentage points of that have already been uh, uh, passed in the in, in the 2023 budget. We factored that into the 2023 budget, and all the, the the revenue and the expenditure measures to deliver the 3.1 percent have already been passed by, by Parliament. And so we are committed to this, and we will do this. Uh, together with, with the people of, of, of Ghana cooperating and supporting and supporting us. Now, uh, to the energy sector uh, question. Uh, I, I, as I said, there are a number of structural reforms that we have to uh, implement. Uh, the energy sector is key. Uh, pricing is an issue. And we already have discussed automatic tariff adjustment yeah. and also fuel pricing index to uh, macro indicators like inflation and, 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 and exchange rate so that we do not uh, accumulate areas. Under the program, we are not required to accumulate new areas. Okay. And so we will have to make sure that we are able to restructure the debt so that we can be able to take uh, clear the areas because the, the fund program also requires us to develop an area clearance plan. So we need to be able to come up with this plan to enable us to clear the areas that are accumulated, the legacy debt that have been accumulated in the energy sector, but also to keep current on uh, future invoices that, that are coming. And this we are able to do when we have a cost recovery uh, uh, pricing. Uh, in the energy sector also, we want to improve on the efficiency of the, 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 the agencies, particularly ECG, uh, in the collection of, of their bills. Uh, we know that they have embarked on uh, an ambitious uh, uh, operation. They, they, they are collecting their debt, they collected 3.1 billion cities. Uh, we, we think that this should be sustained. Uh, it should not just be a nine-day wonder. It should be sustained, and we are determined to support ECG in particular to uh, reform their collection system, uh, to digitalize their collection system, and to be able to reach out everywhere to improve on their on their collection. Here, there are some proposals there uh, on even passing some guidelines for emergency expenditure, you know, uh, management. What was missing on the governance side? is really um, what we do with campaign financing, mm. which is one of the elephants in the room. But you could argue that that is really outside of the remit of, 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 the, of the IMF. But it's really fundamental. But I was glad to see some you know, attempts on the, on the governance side to introduce um, reforms that would, in a way, limit the behavior of some of our you know, um, uh, political appointees. I mean, Dr. Chumisiba, that is, that is an interesting addition this time. They're not only checking your finances and making sure your economy, but now they're actually going to the root cause, what they, I guess, is the behavior of government, government officials and government agencies now wielding again to say you have to improve internal governance and the way you do your things, including asset declaration. I don't know what you think you make of that. I think it's a call in the right direction, <laughs> but um, I... I'm a bit skeptical about the progress that can be made within three years uh, that the um, 
the, uh, the country would be under the program. But essentially, when you look at um, over the period, all our IMF programs, we tend to focus so much on the, the funds that we get. Exactly. And then when you look at policy prescriptions that um, enable us to... Um, transform our economy, build on systems and structures so that we can address the inherent vulnerabilities in the economy, you tend not to um, see a lot of these. So I'll give you a typical example. Under the, um, the 2015 um, ECF program, I think that is when we instituted the Fiscal Responsibility Act and, and all that. And then COVID came and under force majeure, we had to um, uh, put that aside and, and, and get back on. I think um, the, the document is also getting us back to get back to the fiscal responsibility at levels of um, any um, government not running a deficit over 5% of GDP. I think these are systems that we need to ensure. And for me, my passion is basically on the economic side because issues like governance and things, sometimes the outcomes are difficult to measure. And so, in essence, um, uh, we, we should be more committed to addressing the inherent issues. Like Theo said, if you've been given paracetamol or whatever to control the temperature, we need to get to the root cause of what is causing the rise in temperature. And those are the structural issues. Addressing the medium-term fundamental problems of um, exchange rate issues, inflation, and all that. And the Bank of Ghana governor said something at a press conference, and I guess, I guess because you brought it, I need to put it to you. He says that don't focus on the money. Use this as an opportunity to reset the economy. And he started talking about Exa the key things. Exactly. Exactly. Use this opportunity to reset the economy. Reset the economy. What does it look like? Exactly. Then he mentions, you know, the, the structural uh, fundamentals, so export, export-led instead exactly. of importing. But we've been talking about that for, for decades now. So the issue is that it's not like we don't know what to do in this country. We know what to do. But basically, it, it boils down mostly to the lack of political will most of times. And the fact that essentially these structural reforms require a lot more time than a political cycle. And so you see the challenge we face is that we tend to try to want quick fixes, short-term results, to show that um, the, the government has done something. I can understand the position politicians are in because they are looking at the next election. But but I think that we should get beyond that and look at the bigger picture with structural changes, investing in the right areas in the economy. So, for example, I was asking John, what is it with the energy sector that all, all politicians speak so passionately about for us to change? But it appears the problems are, are, are still persist. There is nothing that um, appears to be, to be done about it. If we are able to solve these issues, issues of energy, issues of access to credit, issues of um, skilled labor, issues of then we will be equipping firms to be productive and produce domestically, reduce our import dependence, export. It is not rocket science, but it takes a lot more commitment and effort on the part of government to deliver on these. And most of the times, um, it appears uh, they tend to be dealing with um, short-term 
um, four-year political cycle, maximum eight years and so, so uh, it becomes a bit, a bit murky. John, as we wrap up, I need to ask you, um, government cannot implement this program without the support of the minority. Uh, I bet some of it will have to come to parliament uh, for consideration. Do they have your support? As far as practicable, we are all Ghanaians. We want the betterment of the economy. But we must do so with some candor. We must do so with some level of transparency, honesty, and forthright. The minister just told you, and Tio confirmed it, that the NDC signed excess take or pay clauses, and that's for them, they do not. This is the contract here, and I refer to page five. Capital recovery shall mean the amount calculated in accordance with clause 5.1 of this PPA. And if you go to clause 5.1, it tells you the capital recovery. The capital recovery is simply that I declare availability. You are not ready to take it. I've taken a loan from the banks to bring the plant here. So you must give me something to go and pay the banks. Because you got me to bring the plant here. In the energy sector, it's capital intensive. There's a long duration. And you cannot sell it like ordinary goods. So if you get me to bring my plant here, and you do not offtake it, and you say, look, I'm not ready to take it. I must go and service that debt. And so this idea that as for the NDP government, they are signing take and pay clauses is not true. This is the document signed under the NDP administration. The Tama LNG project signed under the NDP administration is a take or pay agreement. So first, when you do this, then you break the trust amongst ourselves. Let's agree that maybe there's some element of capital recovery. What level can we go? How can we deal with it? Maybe during the NDC time there were some challenges. How can we address it? Today there are challenges. How can we address it? For instance, losses have moved up from 20% when I was living to 31%. What accounts for that? What it means is that of every 100 CD power that you sell, ECG is able to collect only 70. So even if there were no exchange rate losses, have an issue, you have a bigger problem. Then the depreciation of the CD is exacerbated the situation based on my calculation and what ECG provides. It's about $300 million per annum. How do you deal with that? And then the inefficiencies that we are all talking about, the fuel issues. How do we deal with those issues? But when you create this impression as if somebody was worse and that you've come and yours is so good, everything is so... And the document here, signed by under your administration, confirms that that is not the case then wouldn't make a headway. Then we then begin to blame ourselves and deal. And then the policy issues. So something like uh, 1D1F. It is targeted at something. Import substitution. So six years after that implementation, you must then turn back and ask yourself, do a critical evaluation and say, what are the results? Are we really, really reducing imports? When I was listening to the Minister of Finance, was it yesterday or the day he said, oh, this IMF program will help us to ensure that we reduce imports like tomatoes. And I said, wow. Six years after planting for food and jobs, we are now talking of an IMF program that is really restricting investment. That is really coming up with very tight fiscal measures to do some of the things that we said we were doing six years ago. Look, I went to my village, one village, one dam. It was supposed to ensure that there is all year round farming. How was this structured? What can we learn from the failures of some of these things? So that we don't throw money at some of these programs only to achieve virtually nothing. 
so that if we say that look we can just build four dams proper dams located at some centers and also put some four or five factories around that area so that there's ready market for tomato farmers to take their tomatoes there process or semi-process then we can make some impact analysis but like madam said if all of us who want the MPP to go out, so one power, we criticize them. They also have only four years. So they throw all kinds of policies. NAPCO was supposed to solve youth unemployment problems. After four or five years, it's collapsed. So I think that beyond this IMF program, we should also do an introspection and look at some of the policies we implement. If you go to borrow money from somebody in London, do you come to invest it in recurrent expenditure? Mm. Or you come to use it for something that will generate income? These are the areas but that But fundamentally, they have your support in Parliament. As far as practical, we okay. support them. Okay. And so the last one, it has to do even with the extractive industry. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, I know Dr. Tui is very passionate about it. You see, when they were bringing those deals to Parliament, like the Ake deal, the ExxonMobil, we told them, be careful with these stability agreements. Now you've gotten Parliament to approve those stability agreements. That says that irrespective of your macroeconomic condition, you cannot vary those agreements. And you are still telling the IMF that you go and vary the agreements. Mm. Can you, just by policy, vary these agreements when you've brought those agreements to Parliament and Parliament has approved them? If you vary them and they go to court of arbitration, what will happen? These are issues that I think we should be looking at going forward. Mm. But I agree largely to some of the things Dr. Tio talked about. Governance, ensuring yeah. accountability, ensuring mm. transparency. They all help. I mean, Dr. Amin Adam, let me give you the final word. And whilst you take that, um, give us an update on where you are with that you know, condition of restructuring your external debt. I mean, this deal you've received uh, is predicated on you closing that particular gap as Zambia had you know, struggled with his, even after the executive board approval. What is Ghana's uh, strategy to avoid the Zambia fate where they got a deal, but they've, they've, they've been stuck for a while now because it's been difficult to restructure the external debt. Where are we with, with getting that closed? Well, well uh, uh, honorable Singapore talked about losses in the sector being 20% when they left government. That is not true. Losses have never been less than 30%. That yeah, is not a fact. So you may have to check your, your, your data. Uh, we have renegotiated some of your uh, take or pay contracts into take and pay contracts. We have renegotiated AXA uh, contracts to agree uh, for us to pay only for energy. Uh, and we negotiated the Senate contract if I agreed for us to pay for only energy. So they are now take and pay contracts that are visible examples of how we have renegotiated contracts that we signed from take or pay to take and pay. Uh, in terms of the stability agreement, you signed 13 petroleum agreements. And each of these agreements has stability clauses in those agreements. So you cannot turn around and say that we signed the ExxonMobil and the Academy for Stability Agreement. We signed 13 petroleum agreements, each of them. There's no single petroleum agreement which did not uh, negotiate uh, stability agreements in, in, in them. Uh, now coming to the question of the restructuring of the debt. Yeah, externally. We, 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 we got the financial assurances from the official bilateral creditors on the 12th uh, of May. And that is strong indication that uh, uh, we will move also faster uh, in the negotiation uh, relative to, to, to Zambia. It took us five months uh, to get the, 
the financing uh, assurance uh, from the time we applied for it in, in December. And so uh, uh, that is not the same as Zambia. Zambia took 17 months to get the financing assurance. Sri Lanka took seven months to get the financing assurance. So uh, it will not be the same as uh, the case of Zambia. We are very confident that when the negotiation starts, it will start in earnest, and the level of cooperation and understanding uh, we already have received uh, from, from the bilateral uh, creditors shows that uh, uh, we, we will move faster. Uh, as far as the commercial uh, creditors are concerned, uh, the confidence uh, in, in Ghana's economy uh, has been boosted already just by the announcement of the IMF. Ghana's international bond, uh, bond yields uh, are going in the right direction. Uh, our international bonds, our eight of our international bonds, are among the top ten uh, 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 best performing bonds uh, in emerging markets. And uh, we have uh, seen our yield uh, increasing by about 12% uh, compared with 3.6% in the emerging uh, market. So the confidence level is already uh, being boosted, and that should provide a favorable condition for the negotiation with our commercial uh, creditors. Then I am very confident that they will support us, they will cooperate with us, uh, and together uh, we can uh, put our debt to the sustainable level uh, as a basis for uh, accelerated economic kickoff. And, and, and I need to ask this finally. I mean, there's going to be definitely pain ahead. But where is the cushion? I mean, in this document and agreement with the IMF, if you can bullet for me, how is government cushioning the ordinary Ghanaian? with what we now expect to be some tough times still ahead? Well, uh, in the, uh, uh, I said earlier that uh, we have negotiated a very strong, um, you know, social intervention uh, uh, investment in the, in the project, uh, in the program. And uh, uh, some of the, you know, socially sensitive uh, programs we have been implementing are going to be supported. LEAP, for example, uh, is going to be doubled uh, and has been doubled in the 2023 budget already. Um, the uh, capitation grant is going to uh, double. Uh, school feeding program uh, is going to double as well. In fact, three uh, senior high school program has not been interrupted. We're going to make it more efficient. Mm. The National Health Insurance Scheme. Uh, to the extent that in this program, we've negotiated uh, spending uh, flaws. And when I talk about spending for the minimum that we can spend on social uh, intervention, mm. by June, we should be spending $2 billion in all social intervention. And by September uh, this year, we should be spending uh, $3 billion. Uh, uh, by December, we should be spending a cumulative for $4 billion. Uh, this is different from our normal uh, 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 spending in the sense that uh, sometimes your budget and the releases uh, are not corresponding. Uh, uh, well with, with, with the budget. But now we have uh, negotiated some minimum ceiling, which means we can even go beyond that. But these are guaranteed spending that we have to do to ensure that uh, the poor in our society uh, are not affected. And these are the very programs that directly affect the, 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 the poor. And so we see this program to be different from uh, previous IMF programs because this government is sensitive to the plight of of the, of the poor people, and we will make sure that we continue to cushion them uh, and carry them along uh, so that we all can own the solution uh, that will, will take us to 
the, the, the level of economic recovery we desire for our country. Uh, Dr. Mohamed Amin Adam, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, that's it for this uh, part of the conversation. We're going to take a big one return. We're going to be uh, doing a switch to the National Democratic Congress. You remember last week by this time, uh, they had started their parliamentary and presidential primaries. It produced an outcome. John Dramani Mahama is the party's flag bearer. But, well, more than 15 incumbent MPs also lost here. You know, primaries, which means they cannot stand again in next year's elections. There being some controversy about, you know, executive interference in some of the constituencies. The party now needs to begin the process of, you know, closing ranks, uh, trying to mend the cracks, and then focus on the 2024 election. So you need to ask the question, this outcome, uh, does it put the NDC in a position where they can say that they are really ready for next year? And what has been the implication of the outcome uh, to their chances and fortunes next year? Stay with us for that. And remember, the news file is always brought to you by Bank of Africa, as strong as a group, as close as a partner, MTN, Everywhere you go, Ashasi University, educating ethical and entrepreneurial leaders for Africa. Robert and Sons Optical Service, uh, your comprehensive eye care service provider uh, for 31 years. My way insurance, dial star 165 hash on the MTN to join. Duraplus, how you get your water matters. Remember where Duraplus goes, water flows. DBS Industries roofing, Papa Pie Stay with us. that we have is bold and position enough to confront indiscipline. I mean, going to report internal grievances in the media is just as good as taking the party to court or is just as good as betraying the party. And so members who are grieved by decisions and the spirit of discipline understand that those grievances ought to be channeled through internal purposes. I've heard them call for leadership must, must hear anyone up leadership must discipline. If I'm supposed to be disciplined anybody else, first of all, an elected member who will run to the media to run uh, to better degenerate or deepen crack. You see, there are a lot of people that have dipped their fingers and nose into consequences. His Excellency must hear people's verdicts. It's not apologies. And uh, I'm with all humility and with a lot of respect to my colleagues that unless I have contested several elections, this, this will be my seat. People don't forgive. Mm. Because when you do that, people don't easily forgive. They may keep quiet, but they are looking for an opportunity to strike. Because they believe that, look, even in these time of, times of difficulty, this is what some people have done. What if you get power? It may be doing worse because that, that time, it may even have be supported with uh, political authority. So to, to tell those members that this your fear is genuine and I'm going to allay it, these persons will take a back seat and not be allowed to take a front seat. You have this man sitting in the national in the in the council of state serving under the MPP and sitting in your council of elders meeting. Then you turn around and tell people that people are leaking information. Why can't we call a spade a spade and say this person is no longer with our party? We are distancing ourselves from you. Until we call a spade a spade in our party and say, look, 
Yes, you are a senior, we thank you, thank you for your service, but if you can no longer toe the line of the party, no individual is bigger than the party. But a party that lacks the balls and the guts to discipline errant elders cannot rein in exuberant young people. And so you begin to have pockets of people beginning to take the law into their own hands. You want to fix this party? Instill discipline. Anybody who loses an election and feels that the president was not fair, it was not balanced, and that things were done in a manner to undermine his or her chances, has a difficulty lending themselves to any reconciliatory process. When you are put in there as a national officer, you must act in ways that advance the interest of the party. It is not unusual in politics to have a situation where, based on one or two considerations, the party believes that this candidate is preferable to that candidate. In instances like that, what you use is dialogue and a consultative process to impress upon a person who will be adversely affected as to why it is necessary to make that sacrifice. But if you do not do that, and you attempt to sidestep the process or skew the process in a manner that makes it unfair, then you are going to have some of these difficulties. I had a challenge with a national organizer and it resulted in some controversy. I'm sure you read it. I do not want to go into that. Yeah. But what business did a national organizer have interfering in a constituency election like that? That's true. The key point in this determination is that the serial numbers on the ballots in question are from the booklet used in the constituency, in the constituency election. And since there's over there is no overvoting, these ballots cannot be said to be foreign materials. This means as far as our internal elections are concerned, stamping of ballot papers are irrelevant, giving no overvoting and the correspondence of serial numbers to the bullet to the booklet. If these ballots were removed during sorting, will we be here? Or the fact that they were taken out after recounts and not even after EC declaration make them valid? Can our members accept this if it occurs to us in the national elections? This really worries me. This concern not outstanding, I remain positive about the course of the party for victory 2024. And that's at the Magbanais constituency uh, where there was some controversy there. But there was a few bit of controversy as well. As you heard in that clip, there are many of the winning candidates themselves were not happy. Um, so you can begin to imagine what will be going through the minds and hearts of those who lost. More than 15 of them who fell uh, in this primary. And in the studio with me is a man who many will say was very lucky. Because he was on the post in the Gapé Kosugu constituency. True that, you know, you count yourself... A Really lucky that you had nobody contesting you. Uh, yes, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, this is my second time running without having a contest. The first one I had a contest to very strong people. I think the margin showed that maybe they ought to give me that breather. Also, it's about your relationship with your constituents, and more importantly, the kingmakers who are the delegates. I'm sure that people would have gauged the constituency. You don't want to go and waste your time. If I go to pick the form, would I really make any inroads? And so let me thank my police station executives, the constituency chairman. In some constituencies, normally the MP has a problem with either the chairman, the secretary, or two or three other people. Fortunately for me, we appear to be working in tandem. We have a very cordial working relationship. 
Uh, it's usually an NDC stronghold, even though at a particular year we won with only 104 or so votes. Mm. Uh, we've been able to move it to about 9,000 thereabouts and held it around. In 2016, it was about 9,000. In 2020, it was about 8,900. So we've really done quite well. Mm -hmm. It is our hope that as we prepare for the party to assume power in 2025, the margin would even increase more. It's not going to be that easy, uh, given that normally when you stay for one or two terms, expectations, and in a typical rural setting, Everybody sees the MPS, their source of whatever they need. And yeah. even when you try to explain that, look, sometimes you really need to uh, stretch. Some people would not understand. And so it's normal. When you are in power, it's a bit more easier. You may be lucky to have an appointment, and so your level of influence is much, much bigger. Mm. But let's see how it goes. And I was expecting that the two candidates who were contesting against uh, His Excellency John Mama would have done some self-introspection. I mean, any objective person, I mean, beyond the politics, would tell that, look, it was going to be very difficult to beat President Mahama in the primaries. He towers above them. Except that the results tells me that the party is really focused. They know what they want. It's clear, if you look at the presidential results, almost 99%. I was part of the team. So the previous one, I was part of the team. We had about 95%. And so Professor Joshua Labi's target was that we should not go below the 95% target. And so we set ourselves to ensure that we achieve a minimum of 95. Later did we know that we could do up to close to about 99%. And so this is a time to close the ranks. Uh, President Obama has indicated that Kojo Bonzo is called him. I think he's also indicated that uh, Dr. Dumbo has placed a call to him. So there's real unity. Mm. And for such a big party, one shouldn't be surprised that there are one or two complaints. I mean, for 275 constituencies with a level of competition, you would surely expect that one or two people will not be happy. I've heard Sam George, I've heard Felix of Osukwache, I've heard, uh, I think, Monta Kamumba, you know. Yeah, these are concerns that I think the party should take on board. Mm. Whether you like it or not, they are your candidates. Whether you like it or not, some of them are your MPs. We must necessarily work together and ensure that we bring the party. Let, let me ask you your take on the more than 15 of your colleagues who lost the primaries, including your good friend Bauer, who sits on the committee of Mines Energy with you. He's, he's, he's lost his bongo. I mean, have you called them to commiserate and how is that going to affect the work going forward? I mean, you have still a lot to still do in Parliament. Will they still have the energy? Absolutely. I have lost about four members on my committee as ranking member. In this last primary round? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've lost Dr. Donko, I've lost oh, yes. uh, Bauer, I've lost De Lassoa, I've lost Joe Gidisu. Ah. Now, that's quite a huge hemorrhage. Four people, and my committee is one of the strongest committees when it comes to the NDC side. Mm. You have the, Dr. Donko there, you have myself, you have Bauer, you have uh, Kofia Mabua, you have Naza Ture. Uh, you have some very, very tough, intelligent guys within the energy sector. And so it's a big blow. But sometimes it even pushes them to work harder. Mm. I recall when Ras Mubarak lost, people thought that he was going to relax. But he gave of his best. And so it's not always the case. It's about how we handle it. I'm sure that the flag bearer would meet, first of all, 
the losing candidates. Eventually, I'm sure he'll meet all of us as MPs, and I'm sure he will also meet all the NDC candidates. And so, I don't think that we've lost so much. It's unfortunate. I, I really thought that those members on my committee were doing a very, very good job. Very sharp, intelligent, articulate guys. It's unfortunate. Um, sometimes, I've said that you are better off losing the primaries than losing the general election. Yeah, well. Well, it comes. At least once you lose the primaries, you can prepare and, and know that, look, you are living, so you prepare. But I hope that our numbers increase in Parliament. and that, uh, That's in the main elections. Yeah, we, Let me, stay with me, John. Let me bring in um, Richard Ahiagba. He's a director of communication for the new Patriotic Party, and he joins us right now uh, via Zoom. We still have... Uh, Dr. Tui Champon, who is an economist, but also uh, relevant for this conversation, is a political risk analyst. I want to uh, tap into his expertise a bit, into what the outcome hold, what, will, what the outcome means for the NDC going into next year's election. But Richard, uh, let me come to you. Now, your main opposition, uh, uh, your main you know, contender in the, in the elections next year, the NDC, they've completed their reorganization now. They have a new flag bearer. They know who their candidates are, but, you know, barring a few constituencies still yet to be done. I mean, they are ready, I guess, for you next year. You, however, have a long road with, you know, several primaries down the line. Um, that leaves you at least a year behind the NDC if you do the calculations. Is that some cause for concern for the MPP? Sorry, Richard, if you may unmute for me. Can I hear you? Yes, sir. Great. I can hear you now. Yeah, thank you, Evans. Uh, greetings to my brother, JJ, and uh, uh, Dr. Thea Champo, um, and to your listeners and viewers across the country. Uh, the, okay, so it is not um, a concern for us necessarily um, because we are starting our own processes, I think, uh, the 26th of this month. Uh, the presidential primaries will commence. And hopefully, um, if there are no more than five candidates uh, mm. picking the forms, then we'll transition through to the elections um, um, and without the, the special delegate conference. Uh, so our processes will uh, unfold as we have designed them. Um, and it's just a matter of time. And so really, there isn't any pressure uh, from uh, the NDC, but to say that they have terminated their processes and so now they, they move to the next stage of prepping and organizing for the, the election uh, next year. Uh, so I think it's just a process they have finished and we're starting ours. It doesn't really present any pressure. But if anything at all, it gives us um, uh, some markings on the road uh, to observe and see the things that we can avoid some of the concerns that were raised in the videos that you played earlier, uh, we can watch and, um, and try to educate ourselves to avoid uh, those uh, flashpoints and make sure that our election, as always expected of the MPP, is as peaceful, as, as transparent as should be, and then that we can carry through uh, with it without uh, any major internal uh, um, effects uh, in terms of uh, people feeling uh, slighted uh, by any part of the, um, the uh, electoral process. So um, there isn't any real pressure in terms of us feeling like, well, they have elected 
their officers or completed the process as it were. But uh, for us to be able to uh, model ours to be an exemplary uh, process that can help enrich our democracy. So we're, we're quite uh, uh, happy for them. Um, and challenge, the challenges that uh, um, we're talking about, I think that for the NDC uh, standards, uh, um, they've done very well. And in fact, one thing that we need to... Um, um, very, very interesting by, by election. Um, if you look at the margins from 2016 and 2020, 2016, the, um, the late MP had a substantive margin. In 2020, that had dwindled a little bit, I think, to about just under 15,000. And there was an independent candidate that got about 12 or so thousand. Um, I don't have the specific numbers, but it's largely within that, that ballpark. Um, and of the back of all of that, which is happening with inflation and the economy and all those challenges, uh, it remains to be seen the extent of the margin, if any, that the MPP, because they retain that seat, right? If any, may get, or there might even be a flip over if that were to happen. But that would be very telling of what the feelings of Ghanaians are at the grassroots with all of the stuff that, that is going on. And then when you superimpose on top, this debate about you know who is best positioned to fix the economic crisis or the mess that we find ourselves in. I think we're really in for a very, very interesting campaign um, going into, into 2024. Um, the MPP did campaign in 2016 on mm. the track record that they are quote unquote competent economic managers, right? Um, things happened, a lot has changed, but even in the IMF document we were just discussing, the IMF said that there were pre-existing you know, fiscal and, and debt vulnerabilities, uh, which was compounded by the pandemic. Mm. So I, you've got a lot happening on both parties and who they choose, but on the NDC side, they know who they've gotten, and um, it's then a question of to what extent, if any, do Ghanaians perceive John Mahama as, uh, you know, uh, a credible candidate to give them their, um, yeah, I mean, and, and Thio, if, if, if you may, because that, that, that last point you made there, I want to pull it to John, because it's a fundamental point. I mean, John Mahama, um, Junapo gets 98% plus, almost 99% in the delegates' uh, elections. But as Thio says, it, that victory will mean absolutely nothing if the general public in the next year's elections reject him, right? So the question that he asked, I want to put to you. To what extent is he, can he position himself as the most credible person next year to win the elections? Because for the very first time in our political history, you're having a candidate, not two candidates, I think John Mahama included, who have all been, you know, we have a former president who is now standing for re-election after the expiration of like another terms. It, it's never happened before. So that unknown, nobody really knows how it's going to play out, right? So that question needs to be answered. I wonder if the MP, NDC have done that analysis of, is John Mahama, yes, delegates give him, but considering that one year he did before, and this is the first time we are seeing another, you know, this sort of dynamic, what's, how credible is he? Very, very credible. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the truth is that in 2016, it was a very tough year. Don't forget, 
The MPP had been in opposition for eight years. President Malahama took over uh, with a very difficult situation. Commodity prices had tumbled. The situation was tough. We had even gone for an IMF program, and the MPP used the IMF program big time against President Mahama. In fact, I, going to an IMF program was synonymous to incompetence. To cut a long story short, he lost by about one million. 2020, he stood against President Abufado. President Abufado used this IMF, same IMF program against President Mahama. Any time you criticize the MPP, the response was that, but you took us to IMF. But you took us to IMF. It was very, very normal for them to say that. In respect of that, he called back about 600,000 votes. And so he really pushed. And then our parliamentary minority, which was very, very slim, I think about 90-something, yeah. we brought it to about 137. But for the problem we are having with... Uh, the Jashikwese? Yes, because he won. I mean, as for the votes, he won. It's just legal issues with respect to his nationality that is denying him. Other than that, we put up a very good show for the 2020 elections. We even went to court and insisted that some of the issues were not properly dealt with. But court, the court is ruled. So now, fast forward. We're going to 2024. Mm -hmm. The dynamics are changing. How? We are now beginning to see the true MPP in terms of their economic record. Dr. Baumia, for instance, was presented as an economic wizard and that irrespective of the challenge, he had a magic wand to deal with the situation. Now we are realizing that that is not the situation after all. For the first time in the history of this country, as I said, under the fourth Republican dispensation, we are defaulting on all these payments. Even under President Mohammed's IMF, we never defaulted and we never had this kind of challenges we are seeing. This level of inflation, we never had it. So it's, it's, it's a situation that we are all assessing. I'm sure the MPP is also assessing it. We are also assessing it. We have to find a way of presenting our candidate, like you said, as a credible candidate, telling Ghanaians the challenges, telling Ghanaians what he did in terms of infrastructure, in terms of health sector, uh, the energy sector, and all that. And some of us have to lead that chat. Some of us have to lead that debate and tell the people of Ghana why they need one, President Mahama, and why they need the NDC. And I think that it wouldn't be as difficult as one would have had the situation. Because what the MCP has helped your case. In 2020. Not just that. Though naturally, naturally, when you stay in power for a while, even as an MP, there's some level of attrition, yeah. naturally. And also, the MPP came up with very, very promising uh, slogans. I mean, employment, NAPCO was a key issue. Even in 2020, the campaign was that if you vote for President Mahama, he will cancel NAPCO. Now we've seen that NAPCO is not sustainable. So the dynamics are changing. And so I do not always want to rush to draw conclusions. But I'm convinced that President Mahama has a very, very, very good chance of winning and becoming president. I mean, you know, it's very fertile for him. And more importantly, you also need the party's unity. Yeah, I'll come to that. Yeah, Stay with me, because that, that, that is a substantive point we need to look at on the back of the primary. But, Richard, 
the dynamics are changing, he says. At the last eight years, he says, you've shown your true nature and you've helped their cause because of where the economy is. And that makes John Mahama, who was significantly damaged after 2016, significantly reformed and able now to, 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 to put up a challenge. Um, on, on the face of the pink sheet, as we've been saying now, that's true, is it not? That they, where the economy is today, and the pain that we're anticipating with this IMF program going down the line, this is going to be challenging um, to to ensure that John Mahama doesn't, you know, become the the option for voters because of the credibility that he's gained over the last eight years. Well, thank you very much, Evans. I think. Uh, um, John tries to explain the issue, but uh, it's just a difficult one. Uh, it's, a, it's a question where I think the NDC will struggle with greatly uh, to establish the credibility of the former president. Not that his personal, in terms of his personal life, that, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about his political credibility in terms of uh, being um, a leader and making promises and living up to it. Uh, if you take the NDC's uh, uh, proposition to Ghanaians from uh, 2008, uh, all the things they said they were going to do, uh, part of which uh, former President uh, Mahama would, would hold, will be held accountable, I think, because he was the vice president and then eventually became, became the president. Um, and then throughout that period, the first term, they couldn't uh, achieve key components of that, key planks of their proposition, uh, particularly with respect to employment. Um, they didn't achieve anything. In fact, in, in the second term, the former president well, was frustrated when people asked him. Richard? Um, Richard, uh, yes, okay, I can hear you now. Okay, so uh, did he just lose me? Uh, yeah, I just, I just lost you for a second. Okay, okay. So, so I'll say is that the, the NDC, uh, led by the former president, has a, a real task of trying to establish credibility, and, and we're going to uh, try and engage in that conversation uh, to get them to prove that credibility, because we think that he doesn't. Uh, and I'll show you some evidence to that. Um, and I was just talking about uh, employment, which is a cardinal issue in this uh, election, uh, where a vast majority of our young people um, need employment and the issue of uh, a party uh, putting forward a proposition that can address that concern. The NDC have made that promise several times in the past, but they haven't been able to live up to the expectation and, um, and not only failed to live up to the expectation, but became agitated when people were asking the legitimate question of what they promised and, and they haven't seen the delivery of it. Uh, you recall the former president describing himself as not being a magician uh, to put money in people's pockets and that if people wanted uh, money or if they want to uh, make a good living for themselves, they have to go out there and get a job. But if you look at the 2016, uh, sorry, 2008 manifesto that the NDC put forward, they talked about creating jobs. And in fact, there's a particular uh, proposition, if I can find it, um, I think on page 56 of that manifesto, uh, uh, one thing that a former president said in saying that he's not a magician, he said that people should get out there and, and find jobs. 
But in that statement, he said that the uh, jobs that he has created, uh, people don't have the skills to take them. Right? But in that manifesto, the page 56 that I referred you to, uh, the end. <laughs> I mean, Richard. I mean, are you recollecting this? Are you recollecting this this correctly? John, John, allow him, allow him to. This recollection of John Mahama making comments about employment. You recollecting this correctly? Because I don't recall. You don't recall what? That John Mahama making the point about. People don't have the expertise for it. I mean, John Jinapa, please allow the man to to clarify. I mean, I'm asking if you're recollecting that correctly. Yes, I can just read a story to you if you want. Please do. And that story is on is on Ghana Web. I'm not sure what John is laughing at, but if you go to Ghana Web. Um, the story is on um, is a story published, I think, uh, November 18, November 2016. Uh, it says, "I am not a magician." Muhammad tells unemployed graduate. Emma, uh, you can read the story if you want, but I, I mm. can find the specific uh, okay. place. But if you see the the headline, um, the specific place that it's uh, can find that. So he added. Uh, well, anyway, John can, can read that, but I'm not sure why. Okay. But by your, by your substantive, let, let, let's, go to, let's go to your substantive point. Your substantive point about employment. The point I'm making, I'm trying to link it to a promise they made in the 20, uh, 20, 2008 manifesto, where they, they proposed that they were going to expand skills training facilities for urban youth. And this is page 74 of their 2008 manifesto. Mm. Now, I haven't made that promise and had a first term not fulfilled that. And then in 2016, when young people uh, asking for employment and criticizing his government, he says that <laughs> a magician to put money in their pocket. And in that story, if John then goes ahead to read it, you see where I was referring to where he was saying that much of the jobs in the, in the labor market uh, uh, employees or young people lack the skills to be able to take advantage of those jobs. Now, if what John is laughing at is to say that I say he's created jobs and people don't have skills for, it's implied. If you say that there are jobs and people lack the skills for that job, it means that you have created jobs and people don't have the skills to take the job. So that's, a, that's a connection he needs to make. So the point I'm making is that there is no credibility when it comes to solving the key problem. And this employment issue is critical because in the, form, in the former president's acceptance speech, he talked about creating jobs. And we're saying that there's a record of making those promises of jobs and haven't been able to fulfill those promises. And so therefore, it's going to be difficult for him to establish credibility on that subject to the youth of this country, saying that I would come and create employment for you when we know, based on his own commentary, uh, about his ability to create jobs and therefore people should be able uh, to go find jobs for themselves if they want to make an income they must go out there that he has no magic to put money in their pocket yeah i mean and, fact, uh, and, and, and uh, stay with me um, and i will not i will have to take a quick break i'll come back uh, john want to do with this employment i know i know you want to but stay with me i want to come back to that and then uh, dr Choi champon when I return from the break, that last point there about, you know, track record, 
it's going to possibly be more important in this election next year than any other time in our fourth republic because for the first time you you have two candidates on the ballot regardless of who the mpp elect if it's alan or if it's baumia both of them have been in government they've been in cabinet you know so they, they are going to come into the equation on their own record right and then you have a former president for the first time in our in our history also seeking re-election and competing with them. How important will that be? Because that dynamic we haven't seen before. You know, that, you know, we haven't seen. So how, how will this dynamic impact on the outcome? And then you raise the issue about, you know, John Mahama, you know, trying to deal with that credibility subject, also because of his four-year record. How does he do that? Um, I'll, when I come down, I'll, I'll take your views, and then I'll get John's reaction to the employment question. Stay with us. And thank you very much for still staying with us as we wrap up with the politics. And uh, just before we went for the break, uh, a very interesting proposition that was put forward about the records of both parties, which will be even more relevant this year than any other time in our history, really, because of the nature of the contest you're going to have. And one of the, the things that uh, Richard Ehadba had brought up is the records on job creation, etc. And, uh, John, you wanted to respond to that? No, but uh, he's, he hasn't given us any figure, except to say that there's a headline by Ghana Web that he heavily relies on a headline and said that John Mama said A or B. I think what you would normally do, Richard, is to say that the unemployment rate, maybe in 2016, was X. Mm. Following our interventions, the unemployment rate in, say, 2022 is dropped by X amount. And I give you this document from World Bank that shows that unemployment is rather on the ascendancy. So, Richard, if you want us to go with this kind of debate, I'm sure that the people listening and watching would not enjoy it because what this person said, what this person did not say, the media reported this. Let's deal with the concrete, cogent figures, statistical figures, the data, so that we can interrogate them and see whether we are making progress or not. As we speak, we don't even know your candidate. We don't know whether it's with Dr. Baumia, Kennedy Japan, Covenant, uh, Japan, Alan, etc. Alan, etc. So it will be very difficult to even begin to pitch Mahama against a plethora, a lot of people who are still in the field. At least we know the track record of Dr. Baumia. We can tell. Being the head of the economic management team, we can tell his track record today. At least we can assess him. Alan has been a minister. We can assess him. So let's see how it goes. Other than that, I think that President Mahama has done a lot of things that you can pinpoint. Maybe you didn't do slogan of 1D1F, but at Gas Processing Plant alone, yeah. saves us $350 million in terms of import substitution. But you are as good, in a as a politician, you know this, you are as good as your performance in your last term. Yes. Right? His last term ended in 2016, and yes. that last term didn't end well. And That's what people will remember. But I'm saying that that last term is better than the current term. His inflation is better than today. His deficit is better than today. His track record when it comes to payment of coupons and debt servicing is better than today. Debt to GDP is better than today. Exchange rate is better than today. Every macro indicator that you take in the last 10 is the standard. It's better than today. The city is depreciated by about 53%.
One person mama was living to inflation had come down to about 15 percent. Today we are talking of food inflation of about 60 percent. President Muhammad throughout his tenure never defaulted on bond payments. Our pensioners today do not even know their future. So I would prefer that kind of leadership than what we are witnessing today. If last terms are the standards of measure, look at where we are today. 0.5 months of import cover. Is that what you want? This country is bankrupt. That is a fact. Was even suspended repayment or debt servicing. Please, when we went for the IMF program, we never suspended repayment of coupons on our uh, debt obligations. See where we are today. This country is in a hopeless state. To the standard look, without this IMF bill, I would have just crashed out. Um, so clearly, if you want us to use last terms, we will be very, very happy. If you want us to use whatever figure, let's deal with absolute, measurable, quantifiable data. So you're going to be, in your next year, you're going to be comparing Mahmoud's last term versus... Now you brought it, I did it. Okay. He said his last term. <laughs> you know, in elections, I want to... Let's records, right? Yes, so you're saying that... It's fine. Okay. But the people also assess the current situation. Um, That's a fact. Let me bring into a trump point. Dr. Shui, that dynamic is going to be interesting. How would that, you know, influence the outcome next year? And, and, and if you look at the Jomama factor, he's obviously the overwhelming winner in the NDC primary, but he has a very obvious track record that he's going to go into next year with. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the, the point is that there is a resurgent NDC, right? The NDC of 2016 is not necessarily the NDC of 2023. Even when you look at some of the policy posturing and the announcement, if you look at some of the statements President Mahama has been making at different international and local fora, I am getting a bit more depth and I'm getting a bit more detail around that. But the other point is, and where I disagree with um, uh, Richard, is that both of the parties, at least on the economic front, have a serious issue with credibility on the macro front, right? Um, in the last term, 2016, we know what happened, UMSO and all the other related issues. Now we're talking about the, you know, Ted restructuring, domestic exchange, and, and the ripple effect of that, and an IMF program as well. And this time around, it's also affecting, importantly, the middle class. It's, it's not just people down, but your typical middle class folks that traditionally may gravitate even towards, let's say, uh, an MPP, than an NDC, many of them have been hit hard by this current, you know, uh, crisis. So I don't think that the, the debate or the substantive issues is it's about employment, as um, Richard sought to, to portray. There are deeper issues around the economy, the cost of living, um, the, the, the crisis that we all find ourselves in, and the the where many of the citizens would assess really is what is going to change fundamentally this time around in terms of your offering, in terms of your policies, and in terms of the substance, right, behind it. It's no longer enough just to make, you know, um, promises, but people are going to be paying you to the world in terms of the substance underpinning those promises and whether there's actually even the fiscal space to contain it. So remember, we're still going to be 
in an IMF program until 2026. So anybody drafting a manifesto, anybody working on party, uh, you know, um, uh, document, we need to factor all these things mm. in the, you know... You, you, uh, you raised that an important point. In other words, the IMF has already given a template for the two parties' manifestos going yes, into the what the IMF can do, but they all have a serious issue of credibility that they need to address. Mm. It's not just an NDC issue. The MPP equally, and even in most recent memory, a lot of people, you know, uh, those that are like youth looking for jobs, yes, we get that. But the middle class, importantly, have seen significant losses on their investments, on their livelihood, particularly in the last two years. Uh, and that's something that for me, you know, cannot, cannot be uh, discounted. Uh, and uh, Ms. Ahiaba, your response to that? So, um, Ellis, I was saying that, you know, uh, uh, John didn't answer the question. The question you asked was specific about credibility. And I was trying to demonstrate to you that the former president promising that he will create jobs in this, his acceptance speech, he mentioned some 13 items that he was going to work around. And that his credibility on that subject specifically cannot be trusted because of the things he said and done in the past. But John didn't answer that. Going back and talk about comparing the economy, that's a macro comparison that we can do. We're looking specifically at the candidacy of the former president and whether or not, your question, whether or not he can be trusted. So it's a specific analysis that we're doing. And so um, he, he didn't obviously answer the question. But what I'm trying to say is that um, the, the former president has to go through this hurdle of being trusted on the matter. The issues that are at play now, for which he's going to be campaigning, when he talk about the economy, yes, we can look at the economy. What was his position? What was his offering? And what was the outcome? And how does he explain that? Now, if you just look at what is happening today, which Dr. Thea Chapel is, is uh, canvassing, and I think uh, John uh, particularly is relying on, the current situation, I was trying to draw your attention earlier to say that if John is talking about the current situation we're in, then you need to text it for him properly. The context in which we are talking now is vastly different from what existed when the NDC recorded a 15.4% inflation that is talking about, right? So if you have that conversation, we are not going to be absent in the conversation, right? We're going to be present. And we're going to remind Ghanaians that, look, what era he's talking about, this were the realities. And this era that he's comparing that era to these are the, the circumstances so that people will appreciate the two dynamics or the two environments vis-a-vis what obtained. There wasn't any COVID then. They, they tried to minimize it. There wasn't any Russia-Ukraine. And, and those are significant global happenings. And if you see how the IMF put it, talks about major external shock. So those major consequential external shock has the capacity of trumping any any, uh, you know, conditions that you had. In fact, if there were no... Just a quick one, Richard. In 2014-15, you also had a slowdown in China, no? Didn't we have global commodity prices also dropping? I mean, I'm just throwing it into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, but, but Dr. Theo, that has always been the situation because... Oh, we are so the big argument is that right. the external shocks would always be there. And in fact, it would even get much more worse in the exactly. US. Exactly, so that's my point. Right. The point you are making about... Uh, commodity prices 
falling, that threat is always going to be there and actually is still there. Okay. I'll come to you. I just have, I just have uh, less than two minutes. Yes, 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 yes. Richard, go ahead. Just a minute to wrap up so that I can give my winner here to wrap up. Okay, thank you. So the point I'm making to Dr. Theo's point is that, yes, those external shocks will be there, but global shock in the nature that was reported in this report it's never been there. COVID has never been there. The, the direct effect of Russia-Ukraine has never been there. Even if you want to argue about Russia-Ukraine, you can argue about it. But I'm telling you that the catastrophic effect of COVID has never been there. So on top of the pre-existing global shocks that will come up and down part of the economic cycle, existed. Everybody had to work within that. Yeah. But here and now, you are talking about and as a serious extenuating circumstance being COVID-19 that you can control for and see that the MPP's performance compared to the NDC is nowhere comparable. Okay. Um, Richard, 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 thank you very much. You have a minute. Yes, is, sorry, Richard, is, thank you. One minute. You have a minute. Yes. This is why government is investing as much as it is investing to try and provide our people with the skills that they need to enter the world of work. So this is a Ghana West He story. added, if you sit at home and you don't take advantage of the opportunities, money is not going to magically appear in your pocket. So what government is doing is investing to create the situation so that as many of our people can take the opportunity as possible, and we are doing this in all sectors. This is verbatim. And it just comes to city and say that he says that he's not a magician. Some blatant falsehood against the person of President Obama. And that is what the NDC ought to watch going into this election, where people take President Mohammed's otherwise well-intended statement, twist it, and blatantly misrepresent it. In any case, finally, employment.